0: In this episode, the Rules Guru returns to talk about poisons, and I rant about the overpowered perception skill. Welcome to the Mythras Matters Podcast, Season 1, Episode 43, Deadly Poisons and Possible Perceptions. Hello and welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, In Wills, and welcome to December. Now, before we go any further, I have to share with you that it has taken me six to eight takes for that introduction. Why did I put so many P words in the episode title? Anyway, welcome to December, everyone. I actually can't believe that it is actually December. I know probably old people say it, like myself, but where has this year gone? December is a packed month for me. It's Christmas, Boxing Day, which I think is purely a UK thing, then my birthday, then New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day. Sometimes I wish they would spread these holidays out throughout the year. I always try to add value to these podcast episodes. So rather than just chatting about my life and events, I wanted to provide you with an update for our Let's Play Every Week campaign. In the past, we have had weeks and sometimes months when we didn't play because one or more of our players or myself as the GM were unavailable. I wanted to change this mainly because I wanted consistency in how often we played. And I feel that if I don't GM for a while, I tend to lose some of the skill. So we decided on a plan And we implemented this plan so that we could possibly play every week. The players now have characters all made up for Destined. And they are actually willing to play even if there's only two of them available. Having this option to play Destined with fewer players has meant that we really increased the number of times we play during the month. I have to say... Destined is the perfect system to dip in and out of and to play with few players, as well as using it to um, generate a full campaign. And talking about fewer players, next month in episode 44, or the 4s, Droopy Draws. Sorry, I think that's a UK bingo call. Anyway, in episode 44, I will be chatting with two people who have perfected the idea and concept of solo adventures. We are currently taking a break from Mithras on our regular Saturday streams to play Spelljammer. I hope it's okay to mention another system on this podcast. I think I should have checked that before I've actually said it. But even with Spelljammer, We will play with reduced players if needed or even switch back over to Destined. If you haven't checked Destined out yet, please do. It's a fantastic system and we really enjoy playing both heroes and villains. I've taken to watching the Marvel films again to get me in the mood for GMing Destined and also for making up those super villains. In summary, I think there are always systems that you can play when you're a person down. So try and be creative. I am really looking forward to chatting about the solo games. It reminds me of when I was younger, well, a lot younger, and we were actually controlling a whole party when we adventured down dungeons. Okay, let's move on before I start reminiscing again. Later on, I'm going to have a major rant about the perception skill. But next up, it's time to check in with the rules guru, as he talks about poison within the Mithras rules. Over to you, guru.
1: Once again, hello. I'm Matt Eager of Old Bones Publishing, Matt E on the Forums. And our topic for today is poison and disease. It's a dangerous world out there adventurers and I'm not just thinking about axes and claws and falls from high places. What fantasy role-playing game would be complete without poison? Sickness as well can be devastating and could inspire any number of further story arcs when it takes hold in play. What will it take to get better? As a rather complete toolkit, Mithras naturally includes rules for handling such threats. Let's have a look at them. Before we begin, remember my customary disclaimer. I didn't write Mithras. I've simply been invited to share my own understanding of how the rules are meant to be used in actual play. The section entitled Disease and Poison begins on page 74 of the latest edition of the Core Mithras book as part of the game system chapter. The short version. A victim of poison must make an opposed roll of their endurance skill versus the potency score of the poison. This is the equivalent of a saving throw in Mithras terms. If the victim wins the opposed roll, the poison does not take effect. If the poison wins, it does take effect. Simple, right? One point of confusion that seems to come up over and over on the Mithras Discord is this. The potency of a poison is not a static target number. It is merely a skill score to be rolled against. This is much better for the victim mathematically because, one, we have to actually roll for the poison and it might not get a success. And even on a success, two, the actual rolled result for the poison will almost always be less than the listed potency value, and in some cases, it will also be less than the rolled result for the victim, so the victim can still win the opposed roll even when the poison earns a success. For example, Sam the Sickly, whose endurance score is just 25, is bitten by a cobra, whose venom has a potency of 75. In the required opposed roll, Sam rolls a 24, while the Venom rolls a 19. Because both rolled results were successes, we compare their actual numbers, and since 24 is greater than 19, Sam wins the opposed roll. Miraculously, our protagonist avoids succumbing to the serpent's terrible poison. Note that if the Venom's potency of 75 had been used as a static score to beat it would have been impossible for Sam to win the contest. That's not how the rules work, though, and misusing the potency score in that manner leads to weird situations such as what happens if Sam rolls a crit? The larger takeaway is this. To use the mechanics for poison and disease, you must understand how opposed rolls work. So if you have any uncertainties about those rules, refer to page 50 and study until they make sense. Disease works just like poison game mechanically. Note that these rules can be used for drugs as well. In some cases, the victim must use willpower instead of endurance in the opposed role. Potency is not the only, nor the most interesting, parameter here. There's also the mode of application. Perhaps a poison needs to be inhaled rather than injected. There's the onset time which could be so long as to lead to a dead man walking situation. More on that later. There's also the duration. Will a victim recover naturally in a few days or be afflicted for the rest of their life? Finally, there are the resultant conditions which include crowd pleasers like agony, hallucinations, and death. Concerning onset time, The wait for a poison to kick in may seem a lot longer in Mithras than in some other games. For example, even if mere seconds or rounds elapse, though many poisons are much slower, a combat scene may be over before any effects are noticed. Therefore, an assassin may not be able to rely on the extra oomph of a poisoned blade to put down an opponent promptly before they can hack the assassin to bits. In this game, poison is not merely another form of ongoing damage, like fire or acid, that will drain a pile of HP to zero faster. It works differently in Mithras, more realistically I feel, and both players and gamesmaster ought to realize that. Pages 75 and 76 in the core rulebook include several helpful characterizations of diseases and poisons. More examples are found later in the Creatures chapter. Favorite venomous beasts of mine include the manticore, giant scorpion, and giant spider. As an aside, remember that to impart its poison in combat, a creature needs to use the inject venom special effect. Also remember that such a creature may choose inject venom as an offensive or defensive special effect. See the boxed text entitled inject venom on page 218. That's right, if you're fighting a cobra, it doesn't even need to strike you on its turn it can also beat you with a lightning-quick bite in riposte if its evade role is good enough. This makes venomous opponents even more dangerous than they might first seem. There are also further examples of disease in that Creatures chapter, notably in the entry for Chaos Hybrids on page 235. Here, Players familiar with RuneQuest and the world of Glorantha will quickly recognize the familiar enemy known as the Brew. Those monstrosities are infamous for worshiping horrendous gods of pestilence and death, and everyone knows that whenever you fight them, you risk a deadly infection. The Bite of the Ghoul, page 244, represents an example of the extremely long-term dead man walking phenomenon. The victim must make an opposed role to avoid contracting a magical spirit curse, which amounts to becoming passively possessed, page 140, by a particular type of spirit. Nothing further happens to the victim until they die, which might be decades later, Only after death does the lingering affliction assert itself with the corpse rising as a new ghoul. This points out that so far we have been discussing only mundane diseases, the kind we have in our real world, and which would probably exist even in a fantasy setting with no magic at all. In addition to this standard sort of disease, The Animism chapter describes disease that is inflicted by spirits. In particular, while sickness spirits obviously have the disease ability, page 143, they are even worse than that might imply. On page 152, we find, unlike mundane diseases, those caused by spirits do not recover naturally even with the application of the healing skill. If the spirit has gone further and maliciously possessed the victim, then not even the curative spells of higher magic will work, since unless the spirit is first driven out, the effects will return after the usual onset period has run its course. The necessary exorcism could provide an entire series of adventures all on its own. Beyond the core rulebook, Many other examples of poisons and diseases may be found in Mithras supplements. First and foremost is Monster Island, which, aside from the core rulebook, is the most useful Mithras publication for many of us. A truly awful assortment of troubles begins on page 168 and continues through page 176 of that tome. Eight and a half pages of badness, straight from the twisted mind of Pete Nash. For my part, I've included various poisons and diseases in Hisarit's Treasure and several old, old Bones Adventures. Of course, if you can't find something that strikes your fancy, try your hand at home brewing, and be sure to share it with the rest of us online. Finally, I note that the current edition of Mithras does not include a sorcery spell to magically poison a victim. But at least one older D100 game did. Why not add a Venom spell to one of your game's grimoires? It might look a bit like the Smother spell. For that matter, why not introduce a Theist miracle to achieve the same calamitous effects? It could be modeled along the lines of corruption. In conclusion, Poisons and diseases can add extra facets to the drama in any role-playing campaign, and as usual, the Mithras rules have it all covered. Many examples of afflictions and toxins can be found throughout the Mithras literature, and once you understand the related game mechanics, it's easy to create your own. Well, that's all of my time for today. I hope this brief discussion of poison and disease has stimulated your thinking about how to make the most of what Mithras offers. Watch out for toadstools and game on.
0: I really found that rules guru section so helpful. I have to admit, I didn't really understand how poisons and diseases worked. So I'm very keen to get into our regular campaign. So I thought I would share with you some of the ideas to achieve that, that I have come up with. Okay, so first up, the one that you might have already thought about or even used, finding the antidote for a poison. Although this could be for a dying ruler or an important member of the town, sometimes I like to make things more, well, personal. It could be someone who is very close to the party. For example, in our campaign, this could be the burly innkeeper of the hairy hobgoblin, Basil Earless, or even the party's contact, Sylvester McCune, the obnoxious cartographer. Come to think of it, the second is probably not the best choice, since I think some of the party will want him dead after all the snide comments he has made about them. If you want more information about the cartographer, then you can find it in my RPG shop in the encounter section. Links to the shop will be in the show notes. The other choice of person needing an antidote could be the party member themselves. This could really add an urgency to the adventure and could lead to some fantastic role playing between the group members. Situations like, leave me and go on, with the opposing, we're not leaving you, could really add to any campaign. I really like these role-playing situations that can really add to the party's dynamic and will be a situation and some acting that is probably remembered for a long time. Staying with the find the antidote idea, there could be a range of ideas for adventures when you think what or who has the antidote. At this point, it doesn't have to be a rare plant or the blood of a mythical beast. It could be that the antidote is with a group of people or even one person. If it's with the group, then the group could be reclusive, who never allows others into their homes or area, or even a group of bandits that are busy terrorising the countryside. The party might have to use either the social conflict rules to gain the antidote or their brawn and fighting prowess, or possibly even both. Also, the best approach might be a stealthy entry into the camp of bandits using spells of those or those disguise kits. Again, things might go according to plan until that final moment when the party are about to grab the antidote and their spells and or disguises fail and the alarm is set off. Rather than the party looking for the antidote, You could make it that they are looking for the poison instead. For example, a local hamlet or group of people might want to rid themselves of some pests, whether that be a plant, animal, insect or even a person. As the plant continues to evade and take over their crops and buildings, the party will be sent out to locate, collect, harvest and return with the poison before the whole area and possibly people are infected and destroyed. And talking about being destroyed, maybe a poison is the only thing that can kill that evil sorcerer who is leading their army to conquer the whole nation. I like situations like this because it provides a conflict for the party. Would they actually poison someone or is that too far away from their morals and values? If I ever got to play a campaign, I would definitely play an animist who was attuned to the evil spirits. My character would be happy sending a disease spirit through the evil Lord's stronghold, causing their followers and troops to die a horrible, pus-filled death. But whether the party would say, yeah, sure, go ahead, would be a completely different matter. Again, Plenty of role-playing available in that situation. I do enjoy presenting situations to the players when they have to think carefully about what their character would do. For example, if the antidote or poison would mean the death of another individual, would they still allow that to happen? Who would the party choose to de-poison if there was a family needed it? The old people or the young, the male or the female, the ones that showed great potential or those who did not. Or even who would the party choose if they could only rid one person of the poison and that was between one of the party members versus the ruler of the land. So many possibilities here. I hope that provides you with some ideas to bring poisons into your campaigns. If you have any other ideas to share, then please do let me know or share them within the Discord or the Tapper Talk forums. As well as the chat about solo adventures, Loz will be coming in at the start of the new year to give us an update about what will be coming to our shelves in 2023. And remember, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not just drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover I'm always looking for reviews and chats with people. So if you are interested, then you can email me at inworlds at gmail.com or send me a message via the various forums I frequent or on the Discord. Okay, next up, I want to talk about perception and how I think we should be dealing with it. And be warned, there's going to be a rant. So when I was talking about introducing new players to Mithras in episode 40, one aspect of the discussion that really stuck with me was the idea that, that my players had wished they would known that certain skills needed to be worked on since they played such an important part in the game. These were mainly skills like evade, endurance, brawn, willpower and perception. So leaving the first four for another episode, I wanted to talk and focus on perception and explain why I think it can be overused and how this should be adapted without providing another skill. From the core rulebook, perception covers everything from passive observations to more focused detections. It covers all the senses from seeing things To smelling things and it can be used as a free action within combat to gain a quick overview of the situation if you want to see the other actions that you can take as a free action then do check out my video on this topic on my youtube channel as well as using perception to detect all those things Perception is also used to detect traps and possibly sneaking characters as well. The list really does go on. Now, it does mention in the rulebook that the difficulty grade can be altered depending about what the character is trying to perceive. But I do feel that investing into this skill is such a good choice since it covers so many roles. You can spot someone trying to hide to overhearing a quiet conversation. You can notice a trap up to investigating a room for clues. My feeling is that this is too much. I've not told my players this, but should there actually be some subdivisions for perception? I really like how the law and crafting skills work in Mithras. When taking it, you decide on a specialism for the skill. So, for example, Barterby has law monsters and really took law poisons. He obviously knew that the rule guru was going to provide me with some fantastic ideas for future adventures. In order to make my point, let's talk about Hazra, a fantastic character that is played in the campaign by Medivac the Healing Hoover, and Hazra has a really great perception skill. The character is all about being outside, hunting and tracking, so I always assume that he would be really good about perceiving things in the wilderness, but less so in dungeons, in this case, a change of environment would be would be demonstrated with an increase in the difficulty grade. But would Hazra be as good as spotting traps in a dungeon compared to outside in the wilderness? There is something quite specific about traps in different locations and or clues. And I'm not sure that the increasing difficulty would be appropriate here or even effective at making it hard enough to see those traps or clues. So my thoughts or ideas about perception, and do let me know in the comments or via discord what you think, is that with perception, I feel that we should be specializing it like we do for the law and craft skills. So if this is happening and we do need to specialize, what could we specialise perception into? Well, one thing could be the type of the environment, like I was mentioning about Hazra and the wilderness. This would be a good start, especially since it links to the culture and profession of the character. Other specializations could be, for example, something like investigation for looking for clues, or even traps and other nasties, or possibly even down to specific senses. Before you all throw your arms up in dismay and scream at whatever device is playing this podcast to you from, then just stay with me for a little bit longer because I think this relates to the previous segments of this podcast episode. If I was to play a character in a Mithras campaign, As an alternative to the evil animist I mentioned before, I would play a bard character who was a minstrel to the king or queen who would be responsible for the entertainment in a royal court. Now, I first talked about creating bards in episode 38. So if you're interested in hearing my ideas, then do go back and have a listen. So part of my bard, minstrel, servant to the royal king and queen character, I would have some skills. And one of the skills that I would want to develop is the skill that I was encouraged as the bard to do in the royal court. And this was to check the king's food before he ate it to check for poison. Now, a perception skill would be so specialised in this case that it would be perception and in brackets taste. I would say that my bard would not be able to spot traps or even assess the combat situation using this perception skill because it was so specialised. If needed, I could increase the specialised perception skill even further and call it perception and then in brackets royal court. So as well as poison and detecting poison in food, my bard is also really good at eavesdropping. I mean, working in a royal court would also include listening out for rumours or even plots against the king or queen. Would you believe that in the third episode of Mithras Matter, it was the episode was titled Politic, Politics Sorry, and Poison Rings. And this featured as the supplement of Ferochita. I really enjoyed this episode and it really got me interested in political intrigue. Hence my minstrel character being part of the royal court. Now, I'm not saying that my bard minstrel character would not be good at noticing things visually. He's probably got his eye always on people for hidden weapons, etc. But this would be represented in an increase in the difficulty grade of the perception skill. But he would definitely not be very good at noticing traps just as a character with a perception skill focused on the wilderness would not be any good at tasting poison in the king's food. My thinking here is that there comes a time that the perception skill difficulty grade is so hard that it is impossible for a character to achieve that role. For example, an extreme of this would be the following situation. Imagine a mystic who is blind. Their perception skill would be incredibly high, but focused on hearing and perceiving sound. No matter how hard we make the role, they will never be able to say what the sky looked like when the weather changed to show an approaching storm. One aspect of Mithras I really like is the potential for specialization. When within the party, you could have a number of characters with the same skill or the same level at the skill, but they would all be specialized. For example, going back to our campaign with Hazra, Hazra would definitely be have his specialism into wilderness activities or perceptions. While Rohan, a street-loving rogue character, would have his perception specialised into towns or traps or something like that. Am I just being over the top with this? Or have I got, actually found a good point? With respect to the latter, there is always a first time for everything. Okay, let me know what you think. Have you already specialised your perception skills? Or do you like the idea of one skill for everything? Let me know. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters Completed don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums and the Discord where there are some great people there sharing their ideas within discussions. So until next time, have a great month of gaming everyone and have a great Christmas and I will chat to you all again in January. Until then, I hope that all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. of this podcast is covered by the creative commons attribution 3.0 license so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast thank you